Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSP Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast. My twin brother and I are thrilled to be able to spend some time with our next guest. Our next guest, Caitlin Lovelady, is an air traffic controller. She also has spent some time in the military and she still now serves in the, in the Air National Guard. She's actually doing some incredible stuff here and I can't wait to dig into understanding her life, her role, what she does. I also wanna just start off with this. Caitlin has spent some time with my son as well because he's been interested in her field. So why don't we all dig in and get to learn a little bit more about Caitlin. Caitlin, welcome to the Twins Talk It Up program. Thank you so much for having me. This is gonna be so awesome, I'm so excited. This is Danny. From time to time during our podcast and our interview, we will make sure that we will state who is who because Dave and I do sound alike. And I say this in every podcast. I say it in every episode. He does. If you get lost <laughs> on who is speaking between the two of us, listen to the question. If the question comes across very eloquently and very intelligently, you know that's Danny. <laughs> so, let's go ahead and get, get, get started, uh, as David was saying. So, uh, Caitlin, as we know, uh, Simon Sinek has his book, and start with your why. Yes. And you have a, a very interesting background. I do. Uh, serving in the military, uh, as far as taking care of the Air National Guard, uh, also saving lives in the air with all the things that's happening in the air. And we'll dive deeper into that. What do we mean by what's in the air? But Caitlin, tell us, what is your why? My why is that I want to wake up every day and be the next best version of myself. And because of that, I needed to find a job that challenged me on every level. I knew that I was not going to be okay with having a job that I just went to work and found a routine and did the bare minimum and then went home. Um, so my why was not only did I want to serve my country, which I'm thankful that I was able to do and still do, but I wanted to challenge myself and I wanted to make myself better every single day and then also make people around me better. And one of the really interesting things about air traffic is that we talk about is we say, we are always training our replacements. We are always training the next generation of controllers. And so by doing that, I forced to always make sure that I'm the best version of myself so that I can pass down the best version of me to my trainee so that they can learn to become the best version of themselves. And one of my favorite things at air traffic, one of my reasons why is when I sit there and see a trainee have their light bulb moment where it all clicks and all of a sudden they get it. And I see the light in their eyes when they realize how cool this job is and how wow. awesome those moments are. And would that I can sit back in my job as their trainer is done in that moment. Um, that's really my why. Awesome. That is awesome. You know, on a normal day, at any given moment, Flight Radar 24 would be track, uh, tracking anywhere between 8,000 and 20,000 planes mid-flight. That's, that's amazing. 
Yes. Now with this global health pandemic, I read that there's an average of only 5,000 planes per hour in the air at one, any one moment of time. <laughs> it still sounds like a lot of planes to manage. <laughs> yes. How do you do it? Teamwork and training. There is not a day that those two things do not happen every single day in every single ATC facility across the nation. Um, teamwork, not only in my teamwork with the controllers that are working in the facility right next to me, but also teamwork with the controllers who I'm going to pass that aircraft off to or who passed aircraft off to me. Um, we all have to be on the same page and we all have to be working together as just one big cohesive unit to make sure that above all else, our aircraft are safe. And training, we don't ever stop training. We train for every situation that you could imagine every single day. And we always say that the most uh, training you'll do is actually the first day that you're no longer a trainee and you mm. don't have your trainer plugged in with you. That's actually when your training really begins because that's really when you find your feet as an air traffic controller. And that's really when you find your technique. And uh, so even though technically you're no longer a trainee, uh, you're still training. So never stop it. learning, never stop training, never no how old you get, no matter if you're the best in your craft, by the way, this is Danny, you still must train. Yes. Even David and myself, we both read books, leadership books every week. We listen to audible books when we're driving in the car, we never stop learning and never stop training. So I do appreciate you bringing that up. I, I do believe Caitlin, you're absolutely correct. And I'm glad. Thank you very much for those air traffic controllers. I want to let you know, I'm grateful that you never stop training. We don't, we never stop learning. We can always do something a little bit better the next time. And we always have to be critical of ourselves and our skill. And um, those of us that love this job, which is usually the only people that do this job because it is a stressful job to do. Uh, we are always pushing ourselves to be better. Love it, Caitlin, this is David. And I wanna say thank you for your service, not only as an air traffic controller, but also to our country in the military. My twin is also eight years army and we're grateful i grew up as a military brat my father's 21 years army so thank you awesome. for your service thank you um, by the way that's my little yorkie here you might hear <laughs> <laughs> so anyways uh he, there's a package probably being delivered um anyways what i wanted to ask you caitlin we talk about this session dan and i really wanted to go into as a leader as a communicator that's what you do as an air traffic controller so let's talk about directing the airwaves now I hear that aviation communication is in and of itself a different type of a language. It is. Is there really such a thing as aviation English and why is this universally acceptable and what does that really mean? Absolutely. So what we speak in is what we call phraseology and it is a different language. Um, we cut out a lot of the gray communication and we speak in just black and white. We are 100% direct with our instructions. I can't tell a plane Hey, I'd really appreciate it if you climb to, you know, flight level 200. It, you know, it doesn't work like that. I have to tell an aircraft, I need you here. This is where I need you and why. And um, so the words that we use um, that are legally required for us are in our regulations and they're called, we call it phraseology. And there are things that we legally have to say the exact way that it is written in that book to keep ourselves safe and to keep our aircraft safe. Mm -hmm. And if we can't speak in that, we can speak uh, short, concise, and clear instructions. Those are our rules. So if there is no published phraseology for a situation, because let's be real, we can't have words for every situation that's going to happen in the airway because something that's never happened for before is going to happen, then we have to be short 
concise and clear in our communication. And that's just to keep everyone safe so yeah. that there's no guessing about what do we mean. So there's no such thing as jargon. I can't throw my slang. I'm from the South or I'm from the Northeast. None of that. You have no. to be concise, clear, straight to the point. Yeah, absolutely. So I heard this adage. There's an adage in your, your world, aviate, navigate, and communicate. Yes. Why is it accepted that the third component, communicate, is what people say keeps everything together? It's it's not just the words that you mentioned earlier that you use, it's how you use the words. Mm. It's at the pace and the cadence in which you use those words. It's literally saying it in such a way that if I'm from France or I'm from Argentina, that I would be able to understand from your perspective what I need to do when I enter your airspace. So tone, emergencies, no emergencies. How, how does that change when you're in your role as an air traffic controller? Well, I think one of my favorite things about that saying that you just brought up is what it actually really means. And what it means um, from a pilot's perspective is first, they need to fly their plane, right? First, they need to pay attention to what they're doing. Second, they need to navigate their aircraft. And then third, they need to talk to air traffic. They need to communicate with us. One of my favorite things that I've picked up a skill in air traffic is to listen in the silence because you will never understand or you'll never get as much information as when you start to hear your pilots not able to give you that information. And that immediately lets me know that they're queuing into something that's going on in their cockpit. Something might be coming up. I might need to be paying a little bit more attention to this plane because he isn't communicating with me like he normally does. And I hear that silence or I hear that hesitation in his voice and it automatically will say in the back of my mind, okay, this pilot is focused on something else right now. What is about to come my way? And so one of my biggest lessons I've learned as an air traffic controller is to listen to the silence. Mm -hmm. And that even when they are communicating with us that sometimes what they're not saying is just as important as what they are saying to us. And so communication, even though as an air traffic controller, we never stop talking. Um, sometimes when someone does stop talking, it lets us know that there's also some other stuff going on, going on. So we have to be well-versed in that verbal communication and also our nonverbal communication, which people don't even think of because you think of us sitting there on a radio and how can you have nonverbal cues? You know, how can you have that? But you really can, you can have lack of verbal cues that are cueing you into something's going on. And that pilot is focused on somewhere else and you need to pay attention to them. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Live Love Thanks. Live Love Thanks helps purpose-driven women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to permanently eliminate clutter and end stress and overwhelm so they can move forward in their careers, relationships, and health. Visit LiveLoveThanks.com for impactful coaching and program professional women's. I am delighted to announce that App Meetup's customers can now benefit from the presentation and speaking training courses with our integration and partnership with DSB Leadership Group. DSB Leadership Group is committed to providing training and resources to support professionals becoming more effective communicators and increase their impact and value. And that is the reason why App Meetup and DSB Leadership Group have formed a partnership to make sure that our MSPs, which is you, 
can be effective and powerful speakers in the community. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Oh, this this Dan, let me, let me ask this. This is David. You said something that was so important. It's, it's learning to listen mm-hmm. to the nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. Yes. This could be applied even to corporate America. When you're having a conversation with one of your managers, your directors, and the things that aren't said sometimes speak even louder than the things that are being said. So I want to thank you for saying that, Caitlin, because that's so important and so true. Sorry about that, Dan. I just had to ju- jump in and share that. No worries, brother. You know, I, I, I don't have a problem conceding to you on certain things. <laughs> um, but yes, you're absolutely correct. I remember that, Dave, you and I did a course, uh, a business course on communications. And there's so many different, very, there's so many different forms of communication. It's not, it's not just when you speak, it's your body language, it's your posture, it's the silence. And the fact that you, Caitlin, are listening for the silence, you're listening at the voice intonation to determine, okay, what's really going on. That is the active listening that needs to happen in corporations today. Even when we have sales reps and my brother and I, we do a lot of sales training. And one of the things that we train on is the being proactive, mm-hmm. not just listening to your self-talk, but listening to the individual you're speaking with, listen to the tone of the voice, how fast they're speaking, how aggressive they're speaking, and when they're silent, to determine if you should show, you know, close your mouth, stop talking, or what. So there's so many things in this form of communication that you brought up. And the fact that you are who are keeping the lives, helping to keep the lives of so many people um, up there in the air, not crashing into other planes, not falling down, not going off grid. Is, is so crucial because of that communication skill. I, I just wanted to say that is, fun, that is I appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. And one of the things I want to ask you is that we t- you talk about this communication, you talk about listening, you talk about how not to have long dialogues. Mm-hmm. But when you speak, why do you feel like it is very important for that pilot to hear your message very clear and very concise and as David said earlier, no slangs, no lingos. I mean, why is it very, very important to, to come across that way? Is it crucial because of seconds or minutes in the air? What is it that makes it so crucial? Absolutely. One of the sayings that we have in air traffic is seconds matter. And okay. seconds are the difference of life and death sometimes. And when they're up there, like I said, they're flying an aircraft. So I don't want them to be fully paying attention to me in the sense of, I don't want to suck them into a very long drawn conversation. I want to be able to just give them the information that they need and then let them get back to maneuvering their aircraft. And then same with me. I'm not just working one plane. I'm working five, 10, 15 planes, whatever type of air traffic controller, whatever position I am in, in that moment, whether it's tower or radar or center, some of those guys have a lot more aircraft on their frequency. They don't need to get sidetracked by a long conversation with the pilot. You know, they just need the basic information, what's going on and how to keep those planes safe. And so the shorter the phraseology is, Mm. the easier it is for us to manage those conversations. And sometimes we do have to ask questions, or sometimes we have to ask for more information in a little bit longer of a way, but our 
the planes that we're talking to are not like someone sitting across the desk from you, right? They're moving targets. So it's not, you know, that's why I always used to say people would panic when they work helicopters. And I used to say, oh, I don't panic when I work helicopters because worst case, I can just ask them to hover. And at least they're just in one place. Sure. And, you know, once I would tell my trainees that they would kind of look at me like, oh, you're right. That's the one type of aircraft that can stop while we're talking to them if we need some more time. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's to help them not feel bogged down with dealing with air traffic and vice versa for us to not feel bogged down while dealing with all of the different aircraft on our frequency. Great. This is Danny, by the way. I want to continue that communication aspect again with uh, uh, not with just the pilots, but the ground crew. So you talk about the different various forms of communicating with the, uh, the pilot and how the pilot's communicating with you as air traffic controller. So you, you go back and forth. You're very concise. You're listening for any nuances, any, anything that can cause a uh, concern. And then at the same time, you, you come across um, certain pilots. And I, I, I watched some YouTube, unfortunately, <laughs> where the, the pilot and the air traffic controller can get into a little... Um, how do I put this into a little verbal battle? Oh, yes. Uh, either they want to be the first to the runway to take off or they want priority for landing. Whatever it may be, you, you hear at times that there's this battle. So discuss a little bit what it's like talking to pilots when they have strong personalities. And then what is it like when you have to communicate um, with ground, ground control and the rest of your team that's in the tower? Because there's a lot of communication going on. It's not just you and the pilot, but there's a lot of facets. So Talk about those two areas, a strong personality for a pilot, as well as the rest of your team in the tower. So the strong personalities over my experience have come from a place where our egos get in the way. Mm. And that's one of the things I've always wanted to never have to deal with. I don't want my ego to get in the way of the safety of my aircraft. Right. And a lot of those conversations that I have heard on YouTube, cause I've, I listen to them too. Um, <laughs> are sometimes usually just a miscommunication and mm. that it's as simple as that. And unfortunately it's a miscommunication that stems from the controller, not having enough time mm. to explain that miscommunication. And so they get into this battle of the egos. Um, but there is this also thing that we have to be careful of with air traffic is we have to sound confident and we have to know what we're doing. And like you have said, we have lives in our hands. We have the, that pilot's lives in our hands. And if at any point in time, they feel like we don't know what's going on or we're confused or we're lost in a sequence or anything like that, they start to get scared and that's understandable. And in that moment, that's usually when they try to overpower us or they try to overtalk us or they try to, you know, take control of the frequency and say like, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there because they don't see the big picture, but we do. And that's also another thing that air traffic has taught me about communication is if you tell everyone your plan and what's going on, they are so much more willing to work with you to make that plan work. And a lot of the times that I've ever had miscommunication with pilots, it's been because I haven't told them what's going on and I haven't told them the big picture that I see and they don't see as big of a picture as me. They see their jet, right? I see my entire airspace. Yeah. So 
if I tell people my plan, especially my pilots, and I say, Hey, this guy's going here and this is what he's doing. I need you here. Cause I need you to do this. They are so much more willing to work with you because they want the plan to succeed mm -hmm. just as much as you do. And that has probably been one of my biggest lessons that I've learned throughout the years is yes, I'm not required to tell my pilots what's going on or, I mean, I'm to tell them what's going on, but what other people are doing on my frequency. But when I do, they're so much more willing to, to help. And another thing people don't understand too, is that there's a whole set of communication, like you were saying with our ground control and our vehicles and stuff like that, that people don't hear. So while the line might be blank or the frequency might be blank to a pilot, what they don't understand is that I've now just coordinated with five other people in either my facility or the facility I'm handing off. And they think that the quietness is, you know, me not knowing what to do or the controller not knowing what to do. We actually wear an earpiece and air traffic and we only wear it in one ear. And we wear it because we have what we call a controller ear. So I'm listening to my pilots in one ear and then I'm listening in my other ear to all of the people around me and my ring lines and my shout lines and my telephones. And I'm talking to them while I'm listening to a pilot, I can have two different set conversations going on. I wish I could turn it off, you know, at restaurants, it's really distracting. I'm hearing what the other table is saying all the time, but a lot of people don't understand that while the frequency might be dead, the lines and the ring lines and the shout lines and the communication that's going on internally is not dead. Um, and that was one of the things that, um, you know, with the, the crash into the Hudson, uh, people got on the line and, or, you know, were critiquing that pilot, like, or critiquing the air traffic, like they were so silent. And I just knew as a controller, if you only knew the amount exactly. of communication that is going on behind the amount of lines and controllers, mm -hmm. these guys were coordinating with, you guys wouldn't be saying that. Yep. Um, but that's just something that's not understood about this career field because it's such a small career field. And it's such a career field where so much isn't known right. unless you've done it. Well, this quick question, I know Dave, Dave had a couple questions, but I want to, I want to ask something on the side note. So having a military background and actually serving in the military, I, I learned to obey and follow orders. And I can understand the reason why later, but I, I take the orders now because it's life and death. And I know that uh, respecting somebody in the military is very simple and easy. You just do it, it's a chain of command. But in the civilian world, uh, and you don't even have to talk about civilian, but as a woman, uh, when you're dealing with pilots and, and thank God there's more pilots are becoming, there are more women becoming pilots nowadays. But when you have a male pilot who's very strong scenario, and I know we talked a little bit about this, but do you feel that being a woman that sometimes there's not as much respect or um, someone tries to push and exert their authority over you as a pilot thinking that they're more important than the other planes are in the area? You don't have to go in depth on that. I just want to get your personal experience real quick before we move on. I, I want to throw that in there. I hope that's okay, Caitlin. No, absolutely. Yeah, there are definitely times, especially I've heard some of the videos that you guys reference on YouTube where there is a female controller who is doing a really, really good job and a male pilot will question her. And I know, and every other female in aviation knows if that was a man, there would have never been a question about her skill. It just wouldn't have come up. And uh, one of my favorite things that one of my first trainers told me was that he said, I'm not going to train you to be a good air traffic controller for a female. He said, I'm going to just train you to be a good air traffic controller. Mm -hmm. And that was something I prided on myself. I didn't want to ever have people say, well, she's good for a girl. Right. I wanted people just to say, she's just a good controller. And I, that was a lesson that I passed on to the females that I later trained down the road was, yes, I might be hard on you, but that's because as a female in aviation, we have to work just 
10 times harder. We have to do 10 times better to get just the same accolades that a guy would just be getting for, you know, just doing his job. Um, and I've seen it personally. Um, I have been not given awards for aircraft saves. And then two weeks later, a male counterpart be given an award for an aircraft save. And I almost did the exact same thing that person did. Um, and I know for my fellow females in aviation, uh, we know it happens. Um, we try just to make sure that we're better, faster, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and uh, stand up to those pilots when they do that and know your regulations and know the rules and know that we're in the right, you know? So. What I, this is David. What I appreciate, Caitlin, it's, it's unfortunate in some ways. I know we're trying to make strides as a country. We're trying to grow in our awareness, but for where you are in your position and for some minorities to be able to say, hey, we're, we're adhering to the rules. We're making sure we're being above the law and our excellence in terms of our approach to our jobs, we're excellent in terms of our ability to, to lead with integrity, to overly communicate, you're doing everything there. And it's still, quite hasn't gotten to where we need to be at. And, and I do think we are going to make more changes, Caitlin. I believe that I, I've, I've been seeing it in companies I'm talking to, but we got to keep going. We got to keep pushing that envelope. And so kudos to you. Thank you for your efforts, your, your conviction and your training, because I believe without a doubt that these professionals you're training, these professionals you work with are excellent, regardless if they're man or woman. Um, but it goes back to what you said earlier, Caitlin. You said something so important that I try to teach so many executives today. You have to sound confident. If I don't believe what you're saying, I don't want to follow what you're saying. Yep. And Dan and I actually had an episode that we just recorded with a uh, company leader who started a company based around artificial intelligence. And their research showed, Caitlin, that if someone doesn't sound confident, they're 13 times less likely to be won over to a deal. And I looked at it like 13 times, man, if I'm up here managing these planes, I better be confident. And like you said earlier, the pilot will appreciate that confidence. And maybe some of those guys will never change. Maybe they're going to always be that way. But you doing your job the way you do it is incredible. So thank you for doing that, Kayla. I just have to just throw, throw that out there. Think you're awesome. My son thank thinks you. so as well. That's what <laughs> um, but can I ask you a question that's, that, that I really was intrigued by? this idea of you directing traffic, let's say working with a commercial airline pilot versus directing traffic, working with a military fighter pilot. Is there a difference in terms of how you approach those two scenarios or are they really the same and you still gotta continue with your confidence, with your job directive that's in front of you? Is there a difference at all? I was just curious. Um, it's very much the same in the sense of what rules we have to follow and stuff like that. With the military, we're actually a little bit more procedural than we are in the civilian. Um, but that mostly comes from these fighter jets are carrying weapons. They're, you know, they're multi-million dollar aircraft and um, they are flown hard. So uh, believe it or not, I think the biggest difference is there tends to be a, a little bit more of emergencies uh, declared as fighter jets because those fighter jets are getting flown every day and multiple pilots are taking them up and stuff like that. Whereas civilian, that's not very common. It's very rare. Um, but uh, as far as how I work them as an air traffic controller, uh, no, it is exactly the same. Um, it's a, it's 
I followed the exact same rules. We use the exact same publications. And um, that was one of the great opportunities and really why I picked air traffic um, was because I knew that the military training that I got as an air traffic controller while wearing the uniform translates directly over to the civilian sector because we're all following the same rules. Love it. I love it, Caitlin. Thank you for sharing that. Maybe it's my fascination uh, watching Top Gun growing up. I guess. <laughs> so this is David again. And you get the the coffee to spill. Yeah, flybys. No one does a flyby. Unfortunately, it's sad. I wish we all we all wish we could, but ne never happens. Caitlin, can I ask you this question? You mentioned earlier that the only difference you've seen in terms of working in military <laughs> fighter pilots versus commercial pilots might be more of how they approach their job as pilots. They're pushing the planes harder. Sometimes there might be some emergencies. So let me ask this question. When it comes to your role, how have you navigated, let's say these types of situations that maybe an emergency arises on the plane or emergency might arise where you have to, let's say direct a flight or reroute a flight. How do you handle emergencies and why is it important that even in that emergency, you still, as the air traffic controller had to have a calm but firm confident voice yeah um emergencies are air traffic's bread and butter especially in in the air force believe it or not i'm sometimes more comfortable working in an emergency than some other situations that come up and that's just because of the sheer amount of training and the sheer amount of practice that we do working those emergencies we practice it so often that it really just becomes muscle memory and part of the thing that we practice is keeping your tone nice calm collected because you don't need to stress out your pilot. You don't need to get anyone else worried about what's going on. And so working those emergencies, it's really important to know that they have other stuff that's going on. We're there just trying to assist them in the max amount that we can. We're getting the crews and the fire, you know, fire station and the medics rolled out to uh, the runway. And a lot of people um, don't understand, but when you're the local controller, which is working the, the plane in the air, that's the easiest for when there's an emergency, you get them back towards the runway, you tell them they're cleared to land and everything's going and everything's good. You know, they land ground control is where you get worked because now you have chief one, fire one, medic two, airfield this, you know, and you have all these emergency vehicles that might not necessarily know exactly where they're going. You have to ring out a crash phone. You have to do all this stuff. Um, and so usually grounds kind of has their hair on fire and they're the one that you're sitting there just going, Ooh, glad I was in local today and local just because of the fact that the way our checklists are and the way our procedures are, everyone else kind of deals with the crazy stuff. You as a local controller is able to just stay nice and calm and cool and collected for your pilot. Don't add any stress, uh, to his plate and just get them back as quickly and as safely as you can. Um, and also they know that they're safe when they can tell that air traffic's not worried about it and right. vice versa. The, you know, the only few times that I have gotten scared during an emergency is when I've heard my pilot sound fearful. That's the only times because they usually with how much training they run as well, emergencies yeah. are just no big deal for them. They just, it's just another day in the office to them and they come back and everything's great. This is Danny, by the way, I want to um, just say that uh, that stuff right there, just hearing that communication, that's, that's amazing. Um, so if you're listening to the podcast, pause right now and go and give us a five-star rating on your favorite platform. 
We also want you to head over to our Patreon page and become a sp- supporter. You can become a supporter as little as $5 a month. So go to patreon.com slash twins talk it up. Caitlin, you were talking a little bit about what's going on with the ground, the crew, there's emergency and all, all this communication that takes place. And at that time, there's some pause going on as well. So the pilot has to remain calm. Your voice keeps them calm. On a side note, by the way, I, I think all parents need to go to this training so they can learn to be calm <laughs> through stressful situations. <laughs> Anyways, sorry, that's a side note. But back back to the, the conversation we're having. So without giving away any names or any airlines or anything like that, you, you talk about this situation that's actually taken place. And you, you try to remain calm so that your pilot can be calm. Or you try you hear the, the fact that the pilots say this is everyday normal situation. Uh, tell me about a situation and don't have to get in depth with names or anything like this, where in real life, uh, this something serious could have happened. Some catastrophe could have happened, but because of the communication style that you were taught that you were able to avert a bad situation um, and avert lives being lost. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul, J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. Thank you for checking out the DSB Leadership Speaking Podcast. If you are enjoying the program and are learning something along with us, please consider becoming a supporting member through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash twins talk it up. Also, consider leaving a five-star rating on Apple and comment on our other platforms, including YouTube. If you'd like to learn more and get more information, we would like you to become a guest on our future episode. Send us a message via our website at www.dsbleadershipgroup.com. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. Visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Um, Probably one of my scariest uh, emergencies I ever uh, worked was a pilot was coming back and he was hypoxic. And he didn't know he was turning. Um, and, and I started to notice the signs and the symptoms because he wasn't communicating with us as well as he normally does. He was st- stumbling over his words. He had a slight slur to his speech. Mm-hmm. Um, he seemed a little bit confused. And one of the interesting things, one of the many interesting things about your traffic that a lot of people don't know is that we are able to declare emergencies for our pilots. Mm -hmm. So if they do not know they're in the middle of an emergency, whether I can see that something on their aircraft looks wrong or like this, where I heard the guy and just something wasn't sitting right with me. Um, This pilot is someone who I knew was based out of my base. He was very familiar with the airspace. This was what he flew, you know, every time he went up and yet there was just a lag in his communication. There was a lag in his ability to kind of form his phraseology and his sentence and say his request. And so as a team, we all communicated. I put it on speaker, everyone listened and we made the decision to declare an emergency for him. Um, 
And then our flight data controller rang out the crash phone and communicated towards our um, ambulance to not just come and get the pilot, but to go get the flight doctor with oxygen and put that flight doc on the ambulance so we could have the flight doc with the oxygen meeting the, the pilot because we knew how serious being hypoxic was. And we wanted to get him the help as quickly as we could. And with all of our communication combined, we got the guys out there to the runway with the oxygen tank and the flight doc actually climbed up into the aircraft and administered oxygen right there to the pilot and helped him recover and uh, found out later at a you know commander's call that everything was great. He was healthy, he was fine. And there was a situation with his oxygen line in his aircraft. And so um, it could have been really scary. Um, mm -hmm. Hypoxic pilots is a very scary thing to deal with. That's the only time in my entire career that I've dealt with it. Um, but they can get very disoriented. They can get confused. They can lose their motor, their motor skills to be able to fly their jet. Um, so I'm very happy that that all worked out, but that was definitely one of the times where even listening to his form of communication and the way he was communicating, let us know that there was a bigger problem that was going on. Caitlin, that's amazing. This is David. And I'll tell you, even as a father, you see your son going through medical procedures they get gassed up, they have no clue where they are, what's going on. And it's only your voice that can calm them enough to just focus on direction. And thank goodness that you were in that position where even though you could have been panicked like the pilot, you were able to see that he was, getting, he was not getting enough oxygen and he needed to learn to listen to your voice. The crew, the ground crew, the tower, the emergency crews needed to hear your voice and your direction to be able to get this pilot some help. And so thank you for doing that. Is there a difference, Caitlin, for speaking with the ground control versus speaking with the team that you have in the tower? Is there a difference in how you do that? Because I remember you mentioning to me before our show today that there are times you're going to have to work on the ground control or maybe there are times you're in the tower and maybe just the transferring from one airspace to another, there's a different type of communication. Do you find yourself demonstrating different types of leadership on those three different fields or is it pretty much consistent for you across the board? So when we're working ground and we're talking to our vehicles on the ground, we're usually talking to people who, um, like I said, like the ambulance, um, airfield management, stuff like that. They're not, they're, they're not air traffic controllers. However, they are involved in the aviation career field. Um, so we actually do speak to them differently than what we would speak to our controllers or our pilots or our other facilities. Um, but for the most part, um, the way that we handle that, we still have phraseology. It's still published, pub published, but it does state like, hey, you are to only use these words. Um, when you're talking to a vehicle on the runway, you're only su supposed to say it this way if you're talking to an aircraft in the air. Um, so there is two different ways to do it, although it is mandated for us to still communicate with them in a certain way. Um, it's just not the exact same way that you would be talking to another control facility or another you know, pilot that's flying in your airspace or anything like that. So, but there are definitely different types of uh, ways that when you are communicating up there, um, that I have learned 
if you are really friendly with our ground crews and once again, if you tell them what's going on and what you need and why you need it, because they don't necessarily understand air traffic and sometimes they don't understand what's going on. Um, once I tell them what I need from them, they are so willing to go out there and do what you need. I remember one time we had an incident where I had a plane that was holding in position because he went on the go. He thought he saw a bear on the runway. And so he executed a missed approach and was holding out. And I asked, you know, airfield management, AMOPS, if they could go out there and please check what's going on. And um, they did not realize that I had an aircraft that was holding in position waiting for them to come out. So that was on me. I totally missed the ball. I didn't tell them, hey, I got a guy that's waiting for you to do this. I just said, hey, we got a report. There might be a bear on the runway. Can you come check this out? So at no fault of their own, they were just like, yeah, we'll be out in a little bit to do our runway check. And they're not hurrying. And I have this guy spinning in my pattern and he's like, hey, Tower, we're getting low on gas. Like, can we, like, what's going on? And then I realized, oh no, I never told them why I needed them to come out here and check this airfield. So then I call back. And then as soon as I see it, I see from my, you know, my perspective of the tower, their airfield truck jump up and turn on and their sirens come and they come screaming to my airfield and they, they get it all done. And that was kind of one of those moments where I was like, oh, that was on me. That was once again, a miscommunication that I could have done better by communicating. But I just, you know, I just assumed that yeah. they knew what was going on because in my, in my world, everyone's listening to the same frequency. I am, we're all in the tower cab. We're all talking about it. They knew, I knew that the plane just tried to land. It didn't dawn on me that I had to communicate that with an outside agency who didn't know that any of that was going on. And that was really eye-opening for me to be like, okay, I got to make sure I tell people the whole story, not just this, not just the part I need from them, but the whole story sometimes. Yeah. Can't make assumptions, right? Exactly. <laughs> this is Danny, by the way. Um, before I ask this one question, I, I want to bring up this scenario. We had actually um, uh, launched a nonprofit during the pandemic and uh, we have our big uh, event coming up. And we assumed a lot of mm. individuals doing their jobs, doing their tasks. And I would tell you, if you had a book right now <laughs> on communicating through a chaos and remaining calm through that process, taking the military background, aircraft traffic controller background and putting it into a corporate environment, we'd all buy your book today. <laughs> well, thank you. Because it's gonna make what, you do it, Caitlin, you better do I it. Know, exactly. I know, I so know. Dave will help you. Trust me. I, I see this being a very good process. Here's the reason why. When we think about product launches and in the business world, we, we have product launches and we have our roadmap. We have a 12 month, 24 month roadmap where uh, our customers know what the next feature sets are going to be coming out. And then we work backwards. We work backwards from there where every developer and every individual knows what their role is supposed to be. We have tasks. We have weekly cadence calls to make sure that everyone's doing their job going forward. And there's going to be hiccups along the way. So I assumed when that we had started this nonprofit that communication was clear. The team members will work backwards. And I kind of just ran my own business. And I, I kind of put that on the back burner. We're coming close up to our launch and realizing there's some processes not being made because the authority, uh, the individuals that we were put in charge didn't feel like they had the authority to make decisions without us. And I came from a position where if, if I, I'm the commanding officer and I, or commanding NCO and I have people that have their tasks, they have the responsibility, they know how to do their tasks. We have our objective. We're going to go hit our objective. But sometimes in the corporate world, we are 
faced in a situation where we're afraid to make those decisions because we don't want our job performance to be, to be impacted. We fail to forget to remember as leaders that we have to give them the authority and that we have to make sure that we're all staying on track because it's chaotic every week. Okay, who's got the PR team? Okay, why is not our brand up and running? Why, who didn't do the social media posts? We have all this stuff. Okay, who didn't order the giveaways? And how come we didn't invite the, the right people to the, so we have all this stuff, chaos going on. And I can see that if I had your training a little bit better, I can manage amongst the chaos. Yeah, I like that term, manage amongst the chaos. Ooh, that's, that's a great cool. title. So title. back on task, I, was, I apologize to take the audience away from the task, but aviation experts, these aviation experts agree statistically, they stated that with the regulatory that's going on and the role that uh, air traffic controller has with the pilots and the safety of the planes for maintenance, that traveling in the air is so much more safer than in the ground. In fact, there, it's better than one in 12 million ways that traveling by air is safer than in an automobile. I know that's kind of weird. It's because when you're driving your automobile, you feel like you're in control. Mm -hmm. But there's so many factors that you cannot control. Other people coming at you. Whereas with air traffic controller directing planes, she, Caitlin's able to direct the different traffic, which elevation, altitude, which speed, which angle of approach, communicating all that stuff. That's so much more safer. People don't realize that. Right. So Caitlin, you must take great pride in your role considering how you're able to keep so many people safe traveling by plane. Can you talk a little bit more about that real quick? Oh, yes. So I am so proud to be an air traffic controller to the point where um, we have a lot of pride in our mm -hmm. career field, a lot of things that we actually do in the military that not um, every job in every career field get to do. Matter of fact, in our dress and appearance regulation, there is a note under the job badged um, that is dictated towards air traffic. And what that means is every job for the most part, I don't want to say every, but for the most part, when you graduate tech school in the military, you get your little job badge on your um, uniform and that's letting them know that you're in the career field. In air traffic, we don't get that. We don't get that for a few reasons because you can wash out of air traffic at any time. And a lot of people don't know is that um, just because I have become a rated air traffic controller at one place does not mean that the next place I go to that I'm going to succeed. I have to start mm. all over day one in training and prove myself every single time I move because every airspace is different. Every airfield is different. Every um, center is different. Everyone mm. works different together. And so in air traffic, you don't get your job badge until you become a fully qualified air traffic controller. And we have an entire ceremony dedicated to putting our job badge and wearing our job badge um, for the very first time. Wow. I made it through training and uh, got rated and walked out of my control tower, made it to my, my car and I called my mom and all I could squeak out was I did it. And I just started crying because I was so proud of myself um, because the reason I picked air traffic was I did some research and found out it was one of the hardest career fields to do in the military. It had almost a 50% washout rate at the time combined with the schoolhouse and operational OJT or on the job training. Yeah. And uh, I'm the type of person where if you tell me I can't do it, I'm going to do it twice just to tell you I did. Um, and so... <laughs> And so that was why I picked air traffic. And I remember at one point halfway through training going, 
Ooh, maybe I can't do this. Um, but air traffic really taught me that I could do hard things. And one of the things that I do now, because I did transfer to the guard, I am an air traffic controller in the civilian sector. Now I decided that I wanted to do something a little bit different, um, in the guard. So I cross changed to what we call one Charlie five it's, um, command and control battle management. We actually do more of the tactical controlling for dog fights versus the separation controlling. And I still, even though I am not an air traffic controller in the military anymore, wear my job badge every single day on my uniform. Even though I have another job badge as a one Charlie five person, I still wear my air traffic badge because it is something that I'm so insanely proud of, um, to not only be one of the few who do it, but to be one of the even fewer females who do it. Um, and that amount of pride I have, we always, we always tell each other, it's just not normal, but you know, but only other air traffic controllers usually get it. They only, they get the pride in that. And, uh, we get a little, we get some people that just kind of don't understand and they go, it's just a job. And I think as I'm sitting here in my office, you guys can't see it. Um, but I have an entire shelf over there dedicated to all my air traffic stuff. I have my badge, my air traffic coin. I have all of my stuff that, you know, my headset and my very first headset that I worked because, the fact that I made it let me know and set me up for basically the rest of my life that said, if I can do air traffic, I can pretty much do anything. And that I love that lesson that it taught me um, because I can do hard things. You know, if you're motivated enough and you want to work at it hard enough, you can do hard things. Um, One of the things I'm very cognizant about though, is that I just never want my pride or my ego to get in the way of my aircraft safety. Um, There's been times where, um, my watch soup has had to overkey me because I missed something. That's what we call the tower team concept. We're all watching each other. We're all making sure everyone's being safe. And some people have come up to me after and said, how embarrassing. Oh my God, your soup overkeyed you. How embarrassing. And I said for them, what is embarrassing about that? At the end of the day, my plane landed and was safe. And if I needed a little bit of extra help, if I needed that one call to get me back on track, there's nothing embarrassing about that whatsoever. And people had this idea that I couldn't be proud of being an air traffic controller while also keeping my ego in check. Um, but you can, you just need to know how to do it. And you just need to know to humble yourself at the end of the day, if my planes are landing and my pilots can get back to their families safely, then I've done my job. And if I needed extra help that day, that's okay. I love it. Caitlin, I'm getting so inspired right now because we talk so much about leadership. That's leadership. When you're able to put your pride to the side and say, Hey, the mission got accomplished. That plane is safe. Mm-hmm. those passengers are safe i don't care if i had to make another call i don't care if it looked like i had egg on my face i did what i was called to do and those people are safe and so many of our companies and i'm going to ask you this question about leadership lessons you think that our listeners can walk away with and mm-hmm. for the most part we work with a lot of companies and organizations these, these top executives and what i'm hearing caitlin is true you got to put your ego to the side for the greater good of the company. Sometimes it might mean you don't have to be HR, PR, CEO, COO, all at the same time. It's okay to give recognition to other people that are doing a fantastic job. It's okay to be able to say, hey, let's give them the credit. They're the reason why we are where we are, not me. That is su- such an important lesson that I think is so needed for a lot of our organizations. Now, I want to dog all this because I think there's some incredible servant leaders out there that are leading in dynamic Fortune 500 companies. But from your perspective, Caitlin, when you think about leadership, you think about communication, what are some leadership lessons that you think that 
perhaps some of the clients that Dan and I work with in corporate America can walk away with learning from your role? I think I have three big lessons that air traffic has taught me throughout the years. The first one is to say what you mean and mean what you say. Mm -hmm. Um, If you need something from someone, don't hint around to what you need. Um, Say that you need it, ask for exactly what you need and tell them why you need it and give them the opportunity to show up and show you what they can do. Um, I did learn throughout the years, not to bring up being a female once again, but I did learn up that being direct, especially as a female sometimes comes off very hard for some people to take. Um, They think that I am being rude or I'm being disrespectful. And what they don't realize is that being direct has nothing to do with being disrespectful. It has everything to do with making sure that your message is stated clearly. Um, And that's definitely one thing. Another thing, my biggest second lesson, I would probably say my biggest is as most of you guys know, every single word that air traffic says is recorded. Um, Not only is it recorded, but it is um, saved for, I believe, up to over a year in the facility. Um, If you wouldn't want it played back in a room full of people, then don't say it. Um, That's one of my biggest ones. Um, One of the things that air traffic has taught me is that I have to be confident in what I said and why I said it. And I have to, if the worst happens, go into a court of law and have them have my tapes played back and justify my actions. And if I am not able to sit in a room full of people that are listening to that and justify my actions, then I did something wrong and I need, I need to figure that out. And I need to, I need to, Mm. I need to do an internal check in with myself before I project outside of myself what that is. And third, as I kind of mentioned, is I think tell everyone your plan. I think so many people have become jaded nowadays. And I think if you give people the ability to show up and surprise you, they're going to do it. And I found that with my, my pilots all the time was if I tell them what everyone's doing, Hey, if I tell that the guy in front of you guys is full stop, that lets the guy know he needs a little bit of time to run off, you know, roll off the runway. Or if I tell him he's going to need to do this and people will tell me all the time. I had trainers tell me all the time. You don't have to do that. You're right. I don't have to do that. But when I do do it, my plan works out a lot better. And I have all of these pilots that know what's going on and they're willing to work with me to make my plan work. So why not give them the option to show up and help me out? So I think that those are probably my three biggest lessons that I've learned as an air traffic controller that I, I, I put into my daily practice in my daily Mm -hmm. life. I love it, Caitlin. I'm getting so inspired because these leadership lessons, and I'm going to actually stay on you about this, and I may actually help co-author this book because I think it's true. Now, now I don't want to be ignorant and say that there aren't any books out there like this, but I'm just saying from my perspective and our conversations, I've been really inspired to be able to hear your perspective of leadership as an air traffic controller, and really, you can apply it to any profession, any area of the life, so any area of our lives. So I'm grateful that you shared say what you mean and mean what you say. And then if you can't say it outside, have it be repeated, have it be replayed, then have enough control and integrity not to say it at all. And my mom used to say, if it's not helpful for everybody, don't say it at all, right? Exactly, yes. Then even the the point you shared, the leadership lesson about share the plan. You never Mm -hmm. know how you'll be surprised, who's gonna step up, Who's going to be able to show their strength, their willingness to be able to make the plan come together, overly communicate. So, Caitlin, I want to thank you for joining our podcast. Danny and I are so thrilled 
that you were able to come on, spend some time with our listeners, share your perspective as an air traffic controller, as a leader in your field, that communication is vital, regardless of what you're doing. And you know what's amazing about it? Yes, there's a ton of money involved in the industry itself, but let's be clear about something. You can't put a price tag on life. Mm. And this is why Caitlin takes her role so seriously. Mm. And dare I challenge every listener out there in your company, you take the lives of the people that are under your care seriously. Overly communicate, appreciate, share the things that you appreciate about the people that are following you that are under your leadership. Say what you mean, mean what you say. And if you communicate in a clear and concise manner, everybody will lead safely to their own goals and to the greater good of the overall company. Caitlin, love lady, thank you so much for joining the Twins Talking Up podcast. We look forward to hearing more about your adventures and getting that book done one day. Thank you so much for having me. We'll see you guys in the next episodes of the Twins Talking Up podcast. Thank you again. We'll see you soon. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talking Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSP Leadership and visit us online at dspleadership.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talking Up podcast.